And you know, I mean, on those training camps, I think we were we were six or seven guys there, and people were still fighting for their spot to be on the tour team. And Hecky showed up, yeah. you know, the retired guy, and I saw the face of some guys. You know, when he showed up, saying, "Oh shit, there goes my spot." Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Move Podcast, the Move Legends, our special series, as most of you already know now. Um, today, we have a very special guest, very, very special guest. I'm, I'm really pleased that uh, we can talk to him after quite a bit, quite a long time. We haven't spoken to him. Um, I'm Johan Bernil from Madrid. Um, with me, as always, my co-host, George Hinkepi. From, uh, yeah, looking at his background, I think he's at home from Greenville, South Carolina. George, good morning. Good morning. It's uh, great, to, great to be back here with you. And I'm very excited about our guest today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, the man needs basically no introduction. Uh, you know, if we call this series The Move Legends, he is one of the real legends uh, of cycling. Um, he is three times Olympic champion. Uh, that's, you know, that's already, that, that's amazing, actually, um, multiple world champion, um, way too many other wins in cycling races to make a list today. Uh, we're happy to welcome, uh, Mr. Vyacheslav Ekimov. Eki, good morning, good afternoon, uh, wherever you are, thank you, thank you for being on the show and, uh, and, and how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm really good. Um, living in Moscow now. I'm uh, going with you guys uh, on video from Moscow. So we are late PM now. So it's already dark outside. George is still uh, starting his days. I'm already finishing my day. So <laughs> it's good. It's good. Good feelings. I'm very happy uh, to catch up with you guys. You know, just uh, glad to have you. Glad to have you on the show. And and I'm sure we will have a lot of. Uh... A lot of fun, fun memories to to talk about. Yeah, not only uh, I'm excited, also very excited to have Eki on the show. Like you mentioned in the intro, Johan, where this show is about legends, but also the last couple we've had are just the hardest of the hard men of cycling. I mean, uh, with Sean Yates uh, last week, and now with Ekimov. I mean, these these are about as hard as you can get. Eki, we're gonna start off like, and sorry to just jump in, Johan, but like you have some of the most incredible stories of like growing up. I mean, I watch these young kids now, which cycling is always hard, but just the way you were brought up in the sport, how hard you had to train, um, the little resources that you had. I mean, I remember one time in particular, you were flying somewhere and your trainer was, was your coach was trying to put, to convince the airlines to put rollers in the airplane when you were flying overseas <laughs> somewhere. And talk about like some of those stories, which to me, I can't, you know, I can't imagine. Well, I, uh, I started cycling back in 1980. Uh, it was a year of uh, Olympic Mos- in Moscow, Olympic Games in Moscow. And straight after Olympics, I uh, I grabbed my bike and I, I started riding the bike. Uh, but before that, uh, for three years in a row, I was, doing, I was practicing uh, track and field athletics. And by the time I was 13, I grab my bike uh, I, uh, I already was uh, quite well trained you know like uh, i was uh, doing was doing like a half marathons uh, distance of 20 21 kilometers was a piece of cake for me and at that age 
So, at, 30, yeah. at 13. <laughs> at 13, yes. Yeah, it was no, I'm seriously like uh, twice a week we were doing uh, runs for 15 kilometers and then 17 kilometers. So then, like once in two weeks, we, uh, we, 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 we started like to a half marathon. But I never, I, I like for the, I mean, I started with the greatest shit. And I, but I've never done marathon, like 42 kilometers, never in my life. And I think I'm not going to do this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, anyway, be, being well-trained and uh, being, uh, having a really good base, uh, I uh, jumped into cycling uh, at the age of 13, or, uh, 12, sorry, 12. And I feel like uh, this is something, this is something my sport, you know, like uh, I was, uh, I was picking up, I was uh, catching up quickly, uh, the, the training base, uh, the training, uh, schedule, um, the, the distance, the, the timing, the, everything. And the only thing was missing at the beginning, of course, like riding a sport bike. Uh, but it was quick, quick, I was quickly adapted to, to, to stay with the group and, uh, to be, uh, to, to have like a handbrakes, uh, on, on, the, on, on the, on the bar. It was something unusual for me because now my, my kid bike was, uh, you have to push down backwards your pedals to, to stop your bike. So it was something new that they have two, two levers on the bar <laughs> to break the, to, to stop the speed. But anyway, uh, so it was back in 1980. Um, and in 1981, I joined the club of, uh, Mr. Alexander Kuzisov, who was, um, who was my coach. For 10 years in a row, and then uh, he remained a coach or consultant coach uh, while I was doing uh, <clears throat> professional cycling. And the thing with uh, his school was uh, training system was organized uh, in such a way that we have to train like four times a day and every day. Uh, only one day off uh, without the, the fourth training, it was a Sunday. So Sunday night, we were... We knew that we can, we can, we can go to movie. We can even the, the meet the girls or, or have some fun, but that was only time. Uh, that was the only day of two training, training, uh, session a day. Otherwise we started uh, with the rollers in the morning at 45 minutes and then, uh, uh main training, uh, rights uh, between two and four and sometimes five hours. Then a lunch break, and then after lunch, we, uh, we were doing some studies at school, uh, like the school studies. And then at 5 p.m., normally we would do one hour easy, easy run on the bike, uh, easy, easy train. It's, it was going uh, a place of, uh, to have a massage, something. And then we have a dinner time, and after dinner time, we swim like 1,500 meters in swimming pool. <laughs> so that was my, that was my fail time in cycling. Wow. Wow. And I did that, I did that system. I mean, I practiced the system for 10 years in a row mm. and I thought there's nothing harder than that. <laughs> but then, then, then I stepped into professional cycling in 90. Of course, it was a, a completely different story, but, uh, compared to the time I was, uh, uh running for, with the Russian team, with the Russian club of Alexander Kuzisov, um, I still questionable what, what was uh, easier. To, to do like a professional races or to remain like in this system when you're like or the all day long training, keep training. You, you kept that you kept that system going, Eki. Like when you first turned pro, I remember you would still do the, the train the, the rollers in the morning before a race or before training rides, which was uh, yeah. completely different than anybody else. Until you got Americanized and joined uh, our team, you, you stopped doing all that shit. But I remember <laughs> on Panasonic and that you kept doing it, correct? 
Yeah, and then like, quickly I realized that uh, there was something here funny, you know, like to, to have a rollers in the morning before breakfast time. Well, the old guys are still in the bed, still sleeping. And uh, so I called Alexander and said, listen, Alexander, I have to, I have to be more flexible. There is no, uh, for, for me, when I'm at home, I promise I will do the rollers in the morning, but not in the races, not at the hotel. Because everybody is just pissed off. Mechanics, they have to prepare rolls and bikes. And yeah. uh, there is no time trial in the race. Uh, they have to carry my uh, rollers all the time. I mean, it was totally inconvenient for the team. And then, and I start uh, change bit a bit, uh, start to picking up a, a new way of training, a new a new way of uh, being, uh, to, to be in good shape. And so I, uh, I, I think I managed to, to find like a middle, like a gold middle, you know, being not extremely trained, but not extremely uh, taking time off uh, for myself, you know, for from from training. Hey, it's me, JB. I hope you're enjoying the Move Legends. Uh, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because I'm going to tell you about a new partner of ours that you are going to be very interested in because you're bike obsessed, like I am. You probably have a garage full of bikes. Some need to go. And you probably want to bring some new fun stuff in. Well, Bicycle is the answer to that. B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E.com. They have solved a problem for all of us. They've given us an incredible marketplace. And if you go on their site today, you'll see an inventory of 15,000 bikes for whatever you want. They've solved this problem of giving us a good place where bikes have been collected, vetted, inspected, some even certified, and you can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, getting the bike you always wanted. Selling the bike you're no longer using uh, as much as you used to, or maybe it's just you know time to move on to something else and you could uh, sell it online and swap it out. When you do sell, this is super cool. They'll send you the box, the packaging, hold your hand through the whole process. Uh, and when you buy, uh, it's so easy to go on and pick the style of bike you want, the brand if you want to go that far, you can pick if you uh, the drivetrain. Do you want electronic? Do you want mechanical? Do you want disc brakes? Do you want rim brakes? All of these options are in there. And so once in the bike size, so once you go through there and you're like check, 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 boom, a whole page, if not more, of inventory that fits you perfectly on the bike you always wanted will pop up. So whether you're buying or selling, this is where things are heading, folks. It's great. And the amount of inventory from all over the world will blow your mind. It's super, super cool. For a limited time, you can save up to $100 on your purchase by entering the code THE MOVE, all caps, one word. THE MOVE, all caps, one word. At checkout, it'll save you $100. Uh, follow them on Instagram, buycycle.com, B U Y cycle, C Y C L E underscore com. Give them a follow on Instagram. And uh, go check out their site today. You'll you'll be addicted to it. It'll, it'll be your new guilty pleasure just to hang out on that site and look for your dream bike and sell yours if that's what you want to do or do both. All right. Check it out. Bicycle.com. B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E.com. You'll thank me later. I remember, I remember, uh, I mean, George, you were not a pro yet, but I was, when Eki turned pro, I was in the middle of my professional career, and uh, I do remember those uh, like '99, uh, some of those first races um, where you know I, I particularly one one particular race I don't remember, but it was in the beginning of the season. And we were probably like in a in a Novotel or in a Campanile or uh, probably a Novotel, and and 
what Aki just described, I've I've lived it because I've heard I I I was waking up by the the rollers. <laughs> of Akimov above somewhere. <laughs> and I remember it's a, my, me and my team and I said, this fucking Akimov, he's on his rollers again. I should scream and I'll tell people like, come on guys, wake up, come, 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 come here, come here, come train with me. <laughs> yeah. But I was, I mean, I, 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 it brings me back some, some memories because, uh, um, I do remember your first year professional, Eki, when you were on Panasonic, uh, and you know everybody was curious to see this this new talent that everybody had been talking about, right? And you straight away in in the beginning of March, you already won the time trial in in Criterium International, which was a very prestigious race back then. But I, I personally, I know you from way before that because uh, before I turned pro, I was also for two or three years on the on the Belgian national uh, track team. On the and so I did World Cups and World Championships, and there I saw or we saw this this phenomenon, this 19-year-old, because you were you were very young, you know, the the in that shiny, like rubber-like suit, Adidas. Yes, it is. Uh, which was, you know, for uh, for everybody it was like wow, you know, there was a lot like a, a mystique around you and your team pursuit team. You had these, you know, brown wooden disc wheels or wood. They looked like wood. Then you had these special, uh, you know, these guys didn't have pedals, uh, George. They had their shoes bolted on the cranks. So they always wow. came barefoot on the track. Yeah. And they, they were on, then they were put on the bike. And then while they were on the bike, they were just had to just lace up their shoes, their Adidas shoes. And, uh, and just go and you know when they won they were you know they won all they always won the team pursuit Eki always won the the individual pursuit so I mean we didn't yeah. know each other personally uh, but you know I've seen him from a very young age and uh, you know it's kind of nice to like you know having witnessed that then you know raced against him then had him as a teammate on Rabobank uh, then you went to Postal then I became your director. And then we became colleagues as directors, and now we're sitting here so many years later. So it's it's a very very nice story, and you know, um, but um, but yeah, Aki, I mean, uh, it's 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 interesting what you what you say about your 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 upbringing. So the 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 change to professionals must have been quite the shock. Although you already had won uh, some professional races as a, as an amateur, right? You, you won. Did you didn't you win the Dupont Tour? Uh, yeah, no, it, it was, yeah, it was in 89, it was a Trump tour, uh, uh, like a first edition. And uh, the, the first stage was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a mountain stage, but it was definitely a hard climb towards the finish line. And so I was managed to escape with a, a Colombian rider, uh, Herrera, I, I think it was a Herrera, and then uh, Gert Antonis from Panasonic. I think that was in upstate New York, uh, Devil's Kitchen Climb, if I remember. I yeah, remember Devil's Kitchen, yes. Yeah, I remember watching yes. that on TV, yeah. So and then, uh, so we, we came on the finish line and I won a sprint. And I was the first uh, amateur Russian rider to win like a big professional race. And I remember Donald Trump uh, shake my hand on the podium. He was there. <laughs> As an ambassador for the race, uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I mean, for me, it was uh, quite amazing. Uh, 
because you know while i was still racing in russia in in my in my room i had like a post from professional writers and i thought those guys are gladiators those guys like are robots you know like you see the legs you see the muscles and you see the faces like emotion on the faces they say wow it's quite difficult to compete this and i had a dream to compete once at least once to try them you know to compare myself where they are where i am and uh, so all of a sudden in 89, we had that chance with the Trump, the Trump tour. And when I won the stage and uh, I realized that uh, one of the best, uh, uh, I would say, uh, green pearls or the guys for the mountains, they I beat them. I was like, yeah. oh, it's not that scary. Like it was, it was looked like before. And okay, of course, uh, of course, I realized that okay, there was a European peloton in there, but but it was American race, so probably the Europeans wasn't wasn't motivated enough. But pretty soon, you know, the professional riders they organized, and I think in the second or the third day already, the strip off, they strip off me from uh, Liga Jersey. So it's just basically <laughs> race against me. Yeah. <laughs> he's a machine and <laughs> we have to do something <laughs> but it was easy to flick the young Russian writer so they flicked me basically they flicked me <laughs> on the feet on the feet zone I was, I was grabbing my back and the, the, the train was going like without taking anything and uh, I said okay good I was chasing them for 10 kilometers like within 30 seconds but then when the race one uh, was going to the climb uh, yeah, there's the stuff to climb, and I, I blew up. <laughs> so, wow. but okay, it was a good impression of the first race. So, is that how your uh, conversations with Panasonic started from that race, or that was later on in the year? No, no, no. It was, it was a year before the year. Okay. Before. The next year, I joined the Panasonic team, and uh, <clears throat> uh, but we we haven't raced that and in, 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 uh, with the Panasonic team, I never. Uh, no, no, I went there. I went there, but in 91. Not yeah. in 1991. Uh, we went and it was already to Dupont. Uh, yeah. A new race, new name. Same race, but a new name. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that that's how we started, you know, there in 19. And yeah, I remember that day. It was the uh, very beginning of January. Uh, I think it was the 3rd of January, just straight after new party. So uh, the team sent me tickets uh, for the plane, and uh, uh, Mr. Alexander Kuzisov sent me off to the airport, and uh, he, wished, he wished me good luck. I said, "Okay, keep uh, keep on touch." And I was a young guy, like twenty four, sitting in the plane, one hundred bucks in the pocket, <laughs> two words in English, and I was going where, <laughs> maybe nowhere. But what I was quite optimistic. To this, you know, star pack team Panasonic, you know, Peter Post, who was, yes, you know, a legend, yes. a legend and, and, and somebody which was like, you know, really yeah. respected, very respected guy. And uh, um, yeah. I imagine it must have been quite the experience to arrive in a team full of stars, which was, I mean, it was basically what Visma Lisa Bike is today. It was Panasonic back then, right? I mean, they were the dominating team. So, uh, yeah. any, and do you have any, any special, special stories to share from your first encounter with the team and uh how will how how were, were you received by these guys i guess was Tönisse there and Bröking and Plankart and van der Arden and yeah right? my, my 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 very first story was uh, uh connecting that flight to, to Amsterdam because you know i had uh, all uh, 
the Soviet Union uniform as 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 athlete. I didn't have any anything like uh, Adidas or something else. And I remember going back from US uh, in Amsterdam. I bought like a very nice polo. It was a Reebok in Amsterdam, something like this, uh, on my, on my chairs. And I said, "Wait, this is the best uh, I can ever I can, I can put on me." You know, it was like a really cool looking hoodie. <laughs> and I, I went. I, I stepped off the plane, and uh, Peter Post was straight at, on the gate, wa- waiting for me with a dozen of journalists and the cameras and flashes was on me. And I came up with Reebok in Amsterdam. You know, like, <laughs> so what Peter did, he just he took off his jacket and put on on my on me this his jacket <laughs> to show the Reebok. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, oh, Peter, what's going on? He said, No, 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 no. You you may not uh, show this uh, commercial name. So so then, uh, then I realized what what's really to be professional. You have to be. You have to follow the rules. You have to be. You have to respect your sponsors. Etc. Etc. For me, it was something like you know very abstract, obstructive. So it's like okay, good. Whatever. Reebok is Reebok. It's cool looking. Good. This is not so, CCP, you know. So how was it with the language barrier? The first, you know, the first that first season. Um, uh, what was the communication well, like was, with the team? It was it was quite difficult uh, because the, uh, the Peter told me like okay normally the Dutch team they uh, almost never practice in English so because uh, it's either Belgium guys or Dutch guys in the team so and you have to quickly uh, uh, learn Dutch. I said Peter, wait a second, I, I, I barely can speak English. You know, <laughs> you you asking me to learn Dutch? <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit later on, but not now. And then I realized I like after a couple of meetings, uh, team meetings, uh, the, the team was just going, and especially when it was on the Belgium and Dutch uh, for the race, they only was speaking in Dutch, only. On the meeting, it was only in Dutch. So then I, uh, I found a book, I found like a, a dictionary, Dutch dictionary, um, studying every night, like some words, some some something. And then I uh, was writing in some uh, some some words that I would need today to explain something. I was finding them in a dictionary. I put it on the list, put in my memory, and bit by bit I was picking up the languages. Yeah, but at first uh, couple of months was quite difficult. Yes. So um, basically, Eki, after every meeting, you basically had to go to the director then and ask, "Okay, what's the plan?" Right? Or. Uh, yeah, well, for, like at first time was confusing a little bit. And then I was saying, okay, uh, if they want to explain me right, my role for the day, uh, what they have to do, they will do this in English. So, and actually, uh, Walter Plunkett was always after after the the, the meetings, he was always explaining me uh, in English what what has to be done today, like in the race. Okay, okay. So it was easy. Yeah, because back then there was no rate, there was no radios, so basically it was. Yeah. It was- uh, it was the meeting, and then during the race, one of the more experienced riders, probably, who gave the instructions during during the race uh, about what well, was supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, no, with Panasonic, we had a, uh, we had a rule that uh, whoever at the back of the peloton, and uh, if you hear the the the, the, the horn of the of your team vehicle, you, you should go there. You can wait. You should go and take in, either instructions or food, some or drinks. Yeah, and bring it bring, uh, bring it to the people. 
<laughs> and then so I realized that uh, okay, that's probably not uh, it's probably not my role. So I was always staying in front of the peloton. And anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do, I do remember George. This this was this is something that that really impressed me about Eki. You know what? At the uh, at the beginning when he was a professional, but basically always, you know, Eki was a rider. You know whether they were going fast or slow, he was always on the first line. He was always riding in front. Yeah, yeah, you know, always, sure. always there. Uh, so that's probably when from your Panasonic days because you never wanted to go back to the car. <laughs> Uh, it started from that, but then I realized, you know, be uh, like be controlling the race, like ahead of the race, is much easier than being in the back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you have a, if you have your teammates, like uh, we are doing a lot of uh, work for, for for the lens back in the days, so he probably feels uh, comfortable at the back of the peloton, knowing that your team will bring you up uh, at any time. But with the Panasonic, it was a little bit different. A little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, either way, you have to stay with the riders like uh, Steven Rooks or get get the young turners. But those guys was always at the back. And I told him, listen, I cannot be there with you at the back of the race because I, I do double racing. Wherever yeah. you move up, I will take you on my wheel. I will bring you to the bronc to to the to the break or wherever. But I I will be always at the front of the of the bench. <laughs> so they accept they accept it you know <laughs> yeah. yeah it was interesting how like even your your style you never really had like johan mentioned you were always at the front of the peloton but in those races in in flanders and in uh, northern france it's it's all about positioning and it's always very difficult to stay up there but you were always very good at that i remember when we were teammates like we would always just yeah. find each other in the front row like not even necessarily be together but when it was when we were into the sections, you knew where I would be and I knew where you would be. Like, for instance, in 2004, when we had to lead out Lance for the couple of Roubaix yes. sections. And it was yes. just like, Eggie and I knew that we would find each other. And Johan, you knew that we would get Lance to where he needed to be. And it was just one of those sort of unspoken uh, agreements that Eki and I had that we would know exactly where to be and when to be there. Um, so it was just awesome to watch you. And how did you get that skill? I mean, growing up racing on the track, I mean, people ask me the same question all the time. Like growing up in New York, how did I get that skill? For me, it was about growing up in New York and, and riding with, with, with joggers and taxi cars and traffic everywhere. I feel like it really helped, helped uh, raise my awareness in the, in the Peloton. Like I was never scared about different obstacles or stress or small roads. What, what, do, you, what do you think helped you uh, get to be so good at positioning in those types of races? Uh, well, uh, for me, what's uh, much easier if the head of the race uh, would be organized by the uh, by some team, so lead out the, the riders, you know, so you just stay behind. It's it's, it's very easy to manage. But once uh, the head of the of the race go wild, like there was like rotations and you know like a crosswind, maybe sometimes, then it's uh, quite challenging. So you have to battle for your position. Yeah. But anyway, I, 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 if, if uh, young riders or whoever listen to us, uh, I give like a, a very good advice. If there is a crosswind, you have to be into rotation of the, of the riders. It's yeah. much, much easier than you struggle even like a first wheel after the rotation goes. So just straight, you jumped in and you're, uh, you're fighting for your position. Just, just keep, keep rotating, keep rolling there. It's much, much, much easier than uh, whatever position you choose there. So that's good advice. And uh, I also get advice from Rudy Dunnans uh, for that. 
back Rudy in the days when uh, Rudy Dunnans, and then later on uh, Franz Masson was giving me the same advice. And so for me, what? it was really workable. Well, you were on Panasonic, which those guys were the experts in the crosswind back then that, you know, that whole structure. I know for, yeah. for, for most of us, whenever we'd be riding around and, and chatting and, and, and maybe not paying that much attention, whenever you saw like a group of Rabobank riders or a Belgian team, like start amassing together, you knew something was about to happen. So the, the chitty chatter was over and get to the front right away. Cause it's probably gonna be a crosswind section and there's gonna be five groups on the road. So you always had to be aware of what was, who was, who was getting together and near the front of the peloton. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very pleased with, uh, with my career because I started with the Dutch team. I started with the uh, classics as, as the main uh, goals for, for the season. So I, well, I would say I started with the hard school. And then all the race of the of the year, I mean, all other races of the year, after classic season, it was easy. It was just... Uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, it was really easy to manage to to be in a crosswind or fighting for positions. So classics was something that's exceptional. And, and how did that sure. first uh, the first season of classics go for you? That first year on Panasonic, how did they go? Well, first of all, I realized that okay, uh, you have to be uh, good uh, for six hours in a row because the race could happen uh, in every hour. Uh, that you have to do, you have to practice a little bit different, uh, training rides. Uh, the second day they, with the Panasonic, like the first uh, two years, we didn't have any, uh, training camps, uh, in, in Spain somewhere. We would rather, uh, gather the team every Sunday, uh, December, January for, uh, for so like a, like a meeting points. And we, we just ride a bike for seven hours. It doesn't matter what is outside. Like the in Belgium or Holland. Yeah, in Belgium, yes. Like in December, seven hours right over the, the classics uh, hills, you know. Wow. And it was a rule. It was a rule. So, you, you, I mean, for the whole week, uh, you can do whatever you want to do, you know. You can eat the pancakes for the whole week, but Sunday is <laughs> like six, seven hours right. So you can just, you, you, can, you, have to be shape, you have to stay in shape anyway. Yeah. yeah. Where, were you, where were you living there? Uh, I was living in Ghent. Uh, oh, Ghent, yeah. Ghent, yeah, in Ghent. So, you know, like yeah. the capital of the classics. Yeah. Eki, I think we can, your, your, your cycling career, I think we can, we can, I mean, uh, divide it in, in two parts. You know, your, the first part was when you were on the Dutch teams, you were part of the classics, but you were also, uh, you know, you won stages in the tour and, and many other, other races and, and a lot of them in a particular way which is, you know, a super late attack, something we've talked about it on the show the other day, we hardly see mm -hmm. anymore today. And, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, something that we called it, okay, he did an Ekimov. He did an Ekimov means, mm -hmm. you know, you, you did this, yeah. you know, this, this, this last minute attack. Um, so talk a little bit about the difference. And then you, and then you, you, you came to, uh, to Postal and Discovery. You still had your opportunities. Uh, I mean, of those, of those, uh, you, had, you were two Olympic titles, uh, 2000 and 2004, but the main, your main role was more a support role and a road captain together with George. So talk a little bit about the difference between those two eras in your own career. You know, initially, I think you were at, on the Dutch teams, but you had a lot more personal ambition. And then later on in, in, uh, in the season, how did you combine that, that, that personal ambition with your role as, 
somebody that the team basically could rely on all the time? Well, I knew uh, from the beginning of, the, of my first year professional that I, that I knew that my uh, peak season uh, has to be twice in a year. So normally it's like uh, April, May uh, because of the good uh, training base, uh, no base training in, in the winter time. And then I, have, I had uh, I always had a good time uh, late August, September. Uh, it's because of the Tour de France start, recuperation from Tour de France, Tour de France start working uh, with your with your with your body with your with your, with your shape. So and then uh, you know, uh, knowing that it 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 was quite easy to manage uh, your personal goals. Like uh, with the with the uh, with the Dutch teams, uh, okay. We sometimes we have like a good leader, but uh, if the leader has a bad day, uh, like really an item, you know this Dutch guy. So he was like uh, always honest to me, like uh, coming and say, hey, okay, you know, I'm I doesn't feel good today, so just you, you do your own race. So that's why I was managing like uh, being always like top ten and uh, two of Flanders. So. In '95, I started uh, Paris-Roubaix, and it was immediately like uh, like top five, top six. Always close, but almost never had the chance to win because uh, to win a race or to win the classics, you have to be a real, a real like over the top until the finish line. So um, then, okay, this knowledge uh, helped me uh, to win Olympics uh, twice in 2000 and 2004. So I knew that I have to be good in the classics uh, to help George, uh, to help uh, other guys. Um, I have to be like, I would say a little bit like so, so, and I would say in May and uh, in June, we start picking up again with, with Lance, uh, Dauphine, and then Tour de France. So I was right there. I was uh, doing the races like uh, over the top, like a maximum. And then after the Tour de France, were taking a little bit easier than Olympics. Uh, just right before Olympics, I normally was picking up like a super form, especially for the for the time travels. I was really, really strong. Basically, you were doing the tour. You were doing the Tour de France, and uh, George. I mean, this is this is what always blows my mind, you know. And listening to Eki, it's the same, you know, like. When you have these really uh, cyclists with a huge engine, and I think it's safe to say that Eki is one of them, you know, how simple everything is when they explain things. And, and, and you know, okay, I do this and this and this. Okay, and then the result is this. So now Eki just explained that he, you know, focused on the on the classics. Then he did the tour, did his job, and he knew that that training was going to pay off uh, in the Olympic Games. So it's, it's it just... I mean, having been a cyclist with, you know, limited possibilities, it just blows my mind how, how simple you guys think. To start taking care of your health, and it, it's just never been so easy with AG1. You know, it's become such a household name. When we first started talking about it, we were like Athletic Greens, right? Because we need, felt like we needed to describe what it was. Now you can just say AG1. Everyone knows what you're talking about. It's part of my routine every day for the last couple of years. Easy to scoop in, blends up just by shaking the bottle. You don't even have to get out a blender or anything. Tastes great. And it gets you all those vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics uh, and all into you every single day. And it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. So uh, 
uh, get your uh, try AG one to get your free one year supply. Of, also, they'll throw this in vitamin D three and K two and five free AG one travel packs. So I get, I have a canister in my kitchen where I, they just send me the big packs. I put, I keep reusing that, but when I'm on the road, the travel packs are great. You're going to absolutely love it. So check it out. Drink AG one.com slash the move. That's drinkag1.com slash the move. Check it out. I'm not sure which year it was, but it was either 2000 or 2004. We had a really hard tour de France. Obviously you and I did a, a, most of the, a lot of the work on the flats, very stressful. And I just remember finishing the tour and I was just, all I was thinking about was just going home and like doing nothing for 10 days or something or so. And you were like, no, I'm going mm-hmm. to training camp. You got home, got in the car and you went somewhere to altitude to get ready for the Olympics. Which year was that? Where did you go? And how was that? Like, uh, yeah, possible? yeah, particularly there was, yeah, particularly there was in 2000. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, in 2007, the Olympics was uh, quite late. It was the end of September. Uh, so, uh, but being uh, back home after Tour de France in August, is, I think is the hottest months in, in, in Spain. If you stay at home at the sea level, you're just dying, you know, like you have to, you have to leave with aircraft and then train like maybe early in the morning or go like late in the night for training because in the middle, I mean, there was no motivation to go like when it's 40, 40 degrees outside. So and I, for me, it was much easier to take a decision to go somewhere like an altitude and being, being there like in the temperature, like lovely 20 degrees. And uh, what I need, I just need to find like a plateau and, and train there like easy right. You know, wherever you ride there, it's all, it's like a working for building up your shape. Yeah. So it was never like I was never touching my uh, TT bike. I was never doing uh, some endurance training. I was just keep running like three, four hours a day and uh, a little pasta, a little, a little snacks, uh, something like regulate your everything. And then, and then it's easy. You stay at hotel, like you cut off your phone. You're just focusing on something. You're watching a movie, so you're you like create your own world yeah. for for your recovery. And that's really uh, really uh, helps me and and as a payoff uh, till like two gold medals in that in that manner. Yeah. So, so I, three I, three gold medals. What what is that? I remember you said t- there wasn't there though some rumor at some point like if you won three gold medals, you never had to pay taxes again or something like that. Is there, <laughs> was there any sort of incentives for you to get three gold medals? Or, that was all uh, rumors. No, no, no. no it, it was all rumors. It was all rumors. <laughs> okay, that's why I, it's also I heard about the Lance when he won like uh, six tour funds that he's like, uh, he's officially not taxpayer in the US. It was like uh, granted from, from a government to be taxed off, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it was also not true. true. I, don't, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if people realize actually, you know, how, how special, I mean, okay, we say three Olympic titles, right? Or that's just mind blowing in my opinion, but you know, mm-hmm. winning his first gold medal, George, in 1998, and his third gold medal 16 years later in 2004. Yeah. yeah. That's just, I mean, already with an interval of 16 years going to all these Olympics, that's already something. But, you know, winning one in 98, in 88, and then 16 years later uh, in 2004, winning in Athens, that's just, you know, being on the top of the world for such a long time. I think that's so unique. I mean, um, that's why I think, you know, 
is probably nobody else who deserves more to be called a legend than 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 Ekimov, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, not only that, uh, his run in the Olympic Games and the time span that it, that it, that it took, but his upbringing. I mean, he essentially yeah. was a professional athlete since he was 14 years old. I mean, the, the amount of training that you put in and uh, the foundation that you built, most people can never get past those early years. They'll just quit cycling forever. But the very rare few like you, Ekimov, was, uh, made it not only made it through, but ended up having an incredible career. It's pretty awesome to, to watch and be part of it. Yeah, you know, guys, uh, yeah, we, when you see all my numbers, uh, I mean, just you probably, no one would understand it easy how, how this could happen, you know, like, uh, you know, from the very first day of my uh, being, being a bike rider, from very first day until a uh, step off uh, the bikes in 2006 and August, I uh, write it down every day what was done as a training ride, what was done in the race, like kilometers, hours, uh, every speed that was available. And uh, or at the beginning was a heart rate or end of the career was like a, uh, the power meter uh, uh, graphics or uh, numbers. And so a couple of years ago, I calculate all my uh, kilometers in 26 years of riding a bike professionally, I would say professionally, because real professional was 60, 17 years, but 10 years of uh, school of uh, Mr. Kuzinsov, it was like also professional uh, performance. So, and uh, I did a little bit less than 1 million kilometer in my career. Wow. That's in the training ride and in the bike, in the bike races. A little bit less, but now with a couple of years, I already, uh, I, I didn't write it down, but the Garmin, uh, some other things uh, for sure is already over 1 million kilometers. So oh. that's something impressed myself, like a 1 million <laughs> kilometers and this, and this skinny legs. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I also, uh, not only were you so, so fierce in training and you'd always do extra miles you always had your set ways. I do remember one time we were rooming, and I don't know if you remember this, Aki, but it was in Belgium. I think it was during three days of the Pana, and I go get a massage, get a nice massage, and I come back. I'm getting close to the room, and I'm like, it smells like smoke. And I'm like, well, that's so weird. And I walk in the, in the room, and I'm like, Aki, do you smell that? It's like, it's like someone's smoking, and nobody's in there. And I look in the balcony. Aki's outside in the balcony smoking a cigarette, <laughs> like in the middle of the stage. Where I go, Eki, what the hell are you doing? He goes, man, this shit's stressful, George. I just needed to ease some stress, and this is helping with my stress level. And then the next day, the next day, he won the time trial. Yeah, but you guys, you you, you uh, you'll be you'll be fine, fun, but uh, you're smiling. But when I enter this, uh, the Panasonic, when I joined the Panasonic team, the first year, probably I was only the rider who didn't smoke. <laughs> the only rider who didn't smoke. I didn't smoke, yeah. All like all Dutch guys that were smoking. Uh Swanyors that were smoking. Peter Poz was smoking uh, one after each other, you know? <laughs> like uh Walter Planker and everybody, like everybody. And uh, <laughs> and the first and the first experience with a, with a, like a, a massage. Uh I can't remember the name of this Dutch uh, Dutch uh, Swanior, but he was he was doing massage and smoking at the same time. Was it Ruth Bakker? <laughs> Rudbacher? Uh Rudbacher, yes. Yes. And it was in the next uh, in the next door. 
I went to pick up some some drinks because the drink the, the cooler was in the next door, and it was another Sonia was doing massage on uh, Teodoroi. So Peter Paul was sitting in a chair, smoking. Sonia was giving a massage, smoking, and Teodoroi was on the table, <laughs> smoking. Oh man! Who later, who later was our director actually? I was like. Bank. What? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> well, that's why you, that's why you learned it, and then you 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 adopted the the habit, I guess. Well, you know, I don't know, I don't know. It's like uh, it's it's all here. It's all psychological, you know. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I never I never deal in my life with any uh, hard stuff. You know, like I never even try something like uh, funny. Uh, I would call. But smoke sometimes would help me in the yeah. for some reason yeah. it's giving me a little bit more relaxed. I have I have one one uh, one thing I would like to talk with George about, and and you know I think it's it's a testimony how on how disciplined and and hard Eki was uh, when he when he wanted to get ready for something. Um, Eki, you you um, you briefly retired right in two thousand one. Uh, uh, for yeah. a few months, a few months, right? And then uh, I remember um, we were at the training camp and the team training camp, and I spoke to you on the phone, and you, you said, "Yeah, you know, I'm training, and I'm gonna race with uh, a Russian team." And uh, and I said, "Eki, I thought you you were retired." Yeah, but you know, I thought about it, and I still feel good. And, then, and so then, basically, Eki and I made a plan. On, on the phone that, um, you know, he would, he would train and, uh, he would come to, uh, one of the pre tour de France training camps, not being on the team, not being on the team. Um, I don't know if you were there, George, on that training camp, but I, I do remember that Eki showed up like after being retired, he showed, and you know, I mean, on those training camps, I think we were, we were six or seven guys there and people were still fighting for their spot to be on the tour team. And Eki showed up, yeah. you know, the retired guy. And I saw the face of some guys, you know, when he showed up saying, Oh shit, there goes my spot. There's <laughs> go my spot for the tour. And then, and then Eki, you did uh, your first race that year was the Dauphiné Libre. Uh, yeah. You did amazing. You, you, you almost won on the Mont Ventoux. You were caught in the last yeah. few kilometers. And, yeah. um, and then you did the tour without, uh, with having done one race and you, you, you were amazing. So I think that speaks volumes on how disciplined Eki was, you know, uh, yeah. tired, changed his mind, wanted to race again. Yeah. And that just needed, he just needed one, one race and, uh, had his guaranteed spot on the, the France team. And we all know how difficult it was back then to be on the tour, of the France team, George. Yeah. You remember um, that story? You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, just, just, just give a little bit. Sorry to interrupt you, but give a little bit detail to that story. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I finished my, uh, I would say, last race in two thousand one. It was um, uh, French race, French classics. Um, Paris Tour. No, 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 no. It wasn't. Um, how to call this? Uh, after the in August. Blue um, A, maybe. Yes, yeah, Plouet. Plouet. Plouet yeah. I finished the race, Plouet. I didn't finish, so I stopped the race. And I went, like, day after I went to Italy, I already started working on a new project, like a, a Russian team. 
Oh, it was back in the days, it was a terror team. So I started working on that. So I went to to Italy to like a factory, like clothing factory, like bike factory. I was presenting the, the project. I was trying to, to find some uh, sponsorship for the clothing, for the bikes, but uh, basically uh, we have to pay for everything. So I was building up the team and I did that till uh, December. In December, normally from 1st of January, I would go in a contract with, 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 a, with a sponsor to continue as a manager, managing team and then be like a, a, a little bit like a playing trainer, like coach, being on the bike with the young guys. I then realized that, okay, the, the contract was never signed in January. And then in the middle of February, straight after my birthday, I called you. I said, Yon, can 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 have a lunch? So I went back to, I went down to Valencia and we lunched together and we spoke about the, my coming back. Yeah, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why you need this? Is it like uh, you know, there's uh, uh, the season already started, the team is completed, and I said, "Yo, listen, just give me a little bit of chance, you know, because I don't want to do this team anymore because uh, you you're sleeping day and night with this team, and and basically there is no even chance to go on a, on a, on, a, on a team vehicle driving as a sport director because you have to be in an office, you have to do some phone calls and etc. So. I said, that's something I can do later, but I still feel like uh, motivated and still have a good feel, uh, like a feelings uh, being bike rider. And then you told me like, okay, good. Um, I'll give you the time. In May, we have a, we will have a training camp uh, right there in France. So uh, you are welcome now, like in February, you are welcome to that training camp. And then we will see. From there, we will take decision. So in the middle of, uh, I started, I went back home. It was the middle of February somewhere. And I started riding the bike. So the first two weeks till end of February, I was like doing this like slowly two hours, three hours, easy rides. And then from March, April, and May, I did the, uh, in months, I did almost like 7,000 kilometers. Every day it was a ride for 180K. Oh. And I had a loop. Um, because, you know, in Spain, uh, I was doing alone. So there is no team car behind me, there's nothing. And I had to look like 180 kilometers over the climbs. And I know every point where is a gas station, where there's like a natural source when I, when I can fill up my, uh, my buildings with water. And I did like one day I did it like uh, close, clockwise, the other day the, the other way around. <laughs> because I knew it's a guarantee uh, a hit point on, on, that, on that circuit. There is a gas station, there is natural source, there is something else I can pick up and, and do my like seven hours away. So I did that two months, two and a half months in a row with one day off on Sunday. Oh. And I went like, and I showed up in the, with the training camp, I was like really skinny, like really uh, tackle, I would call. And so it was, uh, it was not easy to drop me the claim, eh? remember? No, no, no. <laughs> Eki, after two days, <laughs> after two days, I remember after two days on that training camp, the guys were freaking out. I said, okay, I'm not on the tour this year. Eki's coming back. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, and I told you, I, I remember you told me like, okay, Eki, there is no way you're not going on Tour de France. You told me by end of uh, Dauphiné. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I remember. Wow. That's yeah, a good time. Yeah. That was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, um, 
Eki, we can, George, we can, we, we can, same like with Sean Yates, you know, we can do, yeah. we can have so many stories, but we're limited on time. Is there anything we, else? We, we, want, there, there, we have to end yeah. it on that. Well, two things. One is happy birthday, Eki, because it was your birthday oh, yeah. yesterday. Happy birthday. So, yeah, happy I hope birthday you had an amazing day. Thank you. And secondly, Thank one you. of our, one of our expressions now that we use all the time is thanks for you. And Johan's wearing the shirt. So you'd have to tell our viewers, where did this expression come from? Because this is your expression. <laughs> you made it up. I stole See it from you. Dishes. And now it's one of our favorite t-shirts. Um, so t talk about where did this come from? Because I remember clearly you always used to say it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, every bike race finishes in the douche normally. Uh, normally, you know, okay, in the modern cycling, it was like a douches and a bus all the time. Eki, 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 sorry, we have an American audience. Yeah. Showers. You know. <laughs> but yeah, we, we say, get it. Oh, yeah, showers. Showers, showers. The douche, showers. A douche, a douche, yeah. a douche in, in, yeah. in American yeah. is them something different, but. Douche is, uh, is a, see you in the showers. French, yeah, showers. See you in the douches. Uh, <laughs> see you in the showers. But but then, okay, so every bike race finishes in the showers. And. Yep. Uh, and that comes a kind of a little bit like a slang, you know, like a, a shower or douches. Yeah. And then when you're off the race or you're off the, off the, like a program, you say, okay, guys, not see you later, but see you in a douches. That means yeah. uh, see you like in a, in a different, in a different, uh, in a different way, like in a different, uh, different room. Like when you relax, when you're jerking and not yeah. when you're stressy, when you're like pissed or when you're like angry or something. Yeah, but you, so would also, was, uh, you, 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 would, you would also use it when you were going to like plan an attack or you say, okay, I'm not going to see you till after the finish line because I'm going to win. So I'll see you in the showers. I'll see you in the dishes. Yeah, yeah. Later, <laughs> this is where it came from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> later the saying also went to, to the yeah. bike meeting, you know, like a, yeah. to a race meeting. Yeah, when you yeah. take off, like in the last game, when I take off, I see you guys in the douches. So that means today is my day. <laughs> yeah, today is my day. Love it, Eki. Awesome. Okay. Thank it you, Eki. It, um, really, it was really funny. Yeah. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, and uh, yeah, hope to, hope to see you somewhere on the road. Um, but thank you for sharing, <laughs> sharing all those, uh, all those stories. And uh, it was amazing. Yep. Thank you, Eki. Okay, guys. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay, Thanks. guys. I'm very happy to see you. And I wish you, wish you guys all the best uh, because you're, uh, you're doing the right things. You're populating cycling. You explain a lot of things to, the people, people that are really curious, and I'm very happy that I share my experience or share my uh, my stories with uh, with all audience that you have. Awesome, we appreciate okay. it. Thank you Thank very you. much. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. everybody. Thanks everybody for listening and tuning in, and see you on the next episode of the Woo Legends. See you in the douches. Okay, guys. See you in the douches.